um, I want to ask you a question, two questions, and just answer to yourself. You, you don't have to answer out loud or anything. So just answer yourself. Do you believe uh, that God knows the future? I just said don't answer out loud. No, I'm not. It's okay. It's okay if you did. It's okay. Do you believe God knows the future? All right. Do you believe that God prepares us for the future even when we don't know what it is? Do you, do you, believe, do you believe that that's how God works? That he does that? Okay. Then what I'm about to tell you won't be all that far-fetched. In 2018, uh, we gathered 50 uh, leaders and pastors in our church together and said, let's spend the next two years praying, talking, thinking, reading, learning, and trying to discern what, what is it that God has put Kingwood Church here for? Why, why, why does our church exist and what is his vision for our church and where, where should our church be going? And we took two years and in February of 2020, we shared that vision with you. And two weeks later, COVID-19 hit and stirred everything up. And there's two ways you can interpret that now looking backward. You can either say, well, man, what a waste. Uh, now that COVID-19 has hit, the whole world's kind of changed. And we've been through this three and a half year process where things have been shifting and moving so fast, you can look at it and say, man, I wish we would have waited until after that and we'd have known that and then done, spent all that time and done all that work figuring that out. And so we really need to just scrap that and start over. Or you could say, God knows the future and he prepares you for the future that you don't know that he knows and how blessed we are to have been in position to have received direction from him just two weeks before the whole world was going to change so we would know clearly where we were going. I'm taking the second one. <laughs> That's how I'm looking at it. So this morning what I want to do is just share with you the vision of Kingwood Church. We, we have so many new people that have come to our church in the last six months, 12 months, and maybe you've only heard part of this, but I want you to know the heart and the vision behind what our church is. And by the way, we got new shirts. <laughs> I don't typically wear a t-shirt on Sunday morning, but here it is. This is our new swag, all right? So uh, you can go out in the foyer after service and you can, you can buy one, all sizes, two colors. Get it, love it, enjoy it. I'm, I'm enjoying wearing mine, so that's what it is. Now, um, our vision is to be a movement of hope to Shelby County and the world. That's our vision. So how do we do that? Four ways, here's the first one. Our vision is to be a movement of hope by helping people meet God, by helping people meet God. So here's what happens to us. When you and I become believers, when we transition from darkness into light, when we're born again, we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we all start from the same place. We all start with a compartmentalized faith. In other words, we believe that there are some things that are sacred and other things that are secular. That God is at church, but he's almost never at the movie theater or at work. You know, he's in certain places and we kind of separate things the way that we think they are because we compartmentalize. These are the boxes that God is in and these are the boxes that God is not in. And that's how, that's how our faith journey begins. So, 
Um, I remember this happened to me when I was a teenager. I'd been saved, I don't know, maybe a year. I, w- I was raised in a really, really small church. At 12 years old, I dropped out. At 15, I, I had an incredible, it's a whole journey, but I found Jesus. And at 16, um, I'm part of this youth group. I'd never been a part of a youth group in my life, didn't even know what it was. And these teenagers invited me as part of this youth group, and they were going to have a hayride. And so I went to go on this hayride. Remember, I'm less than a year old in Jesus, and all of my faith is very compartmentalized. Like, God's at church, and, you know, he's not in these other places. And so um, what, what happened is we went to this hayride, and I thought, I know what hayrides are. That's where you go and make out, right? That's what a... All right, everybody knows what a hayride is. So I'm like, yay, we're going to have a hayride. That's, what's the downside? That's awesome. And so we're at the hayride, but there were these, there was these teenagers in, in the middle of this youth group that had just, um, had just had these radical encounters with God and it had changed their life and they were, they were starving. I'd never been around people who had, had genuinely craved God like they did. They were just hungry for him. And so in the middle of this hayride, out breaks out this worship fest. So under the night sky, we're being pulled around behind this vehicle in a hayride, and we're singing worship songs. And I find myself just being pulled in, just being sucked into this and just going. And, and I can't describe for you how revolutionary it was for me because God was at church. He wasn't on hayrides. I'd never, I'd never, to my knowledge, encountered God in a space like that before. I didn't even know he was there. I didn't know he even cared about that. And I can tell you, I still remember it to this day. It impacted me so deeply, and it, and it broke apart my compartmentalization of the sacred and the secular of the places where God is and God's not. It began to break those places apart for me a little bit in my own mind. But this is what happens to all of us. See, the Christian life is the unfolding reality that God is everywhere. And when we first come to Christ, we don't think he's everywhere. We just think he's wherever we are when, you know, when things are going well or he's in a worship service or he's in a prayer meeting. If you're having a good conversation about God, he's in the conversation. But he's nowhere to be found when you hit confusion or you hit frustration or disillusionment or your expectations are let down or you're sad or something bad happens or you're overwhelmed or you don't know which way to go in life. We, we, are, we compartmentalize and say, God's not there. He's not in any of those places. He's only in these places. And that's how, that's how I thought about it, and I think that's how we all think about it. But I want to share with you this morning what Ephesians 4.10 says. And it's a verse that we generally read when we're on our way to read something else. But we don't really isolate it by itself, but I want you to look at the power of it. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What is he saying here? The one who died on the cross and descended into the grave, resurrected on the third day and ascended, and then returned to the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. Why? So that the entire universe might be filled with his presence. That's his plan. That's his desire. That's what he wants to happen. And so he wants to fill every cell in your mind, and he wants to be part of every 
piece of your life. And every time, the reason that our vision is helping people meet God is because every time you meet him, he fills you a little bit more. Like that, what felt very coincidental to me on that hayride, I met him there and I went, whoa, what is that? God wants to be in this space too. Actually, he already is. I just wasn't aware of it. But he was already here. Um, imagine, imagine if you... Um, for those of you who are married, imagine when you got married, you had the wedding, the wedding was over, you looked at your spouse and you said, hey, we had the wedding, we don't need to talk anymore now. How many of you think that would go well? But yet, that's how we treat our relationship with God sometimes. We say, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Isn't that all there is to it? No, that's not all there is to it. Because as a new or young believer, you're still heavily compartmentalized. And God's not done with you because he hasn't filled every space of your life with his presence yet. And he won't stop until he does. And so our vision is to help people experience him and to help people encounter him and to help people meet God. So think about it like this. When his presence fills you, we meet him in victory and we meet him in tragedy. We meet him in pleasure. We meet him in pain. We meet him in the morning. We meet him in the evening. We meet him on vacation. We meet him at church. We meet him at work. We meet him at home. We meet him in a Bible study. We meet him in prayer. We meet him in worship. We meet him in Christian community. We meet him in quiet. We meet him in celebration. We meet him in the past. We meet him in the future. And the more ways and places we meet him, the more we begin to understand and experience the fullness of his presence because we realize, hey, wait a minute, I think God's actually everywhere. But we don't live that until we experience it. You don't live it just because you know it. You live it when you experience it. And so that's what our vision is, is to help people. meet. Look, nobody's down at the local school working on this. Nobody's at your workplace. Nobody's in the marketplace. Nobody at Walmart or Amazon's working on this. Nobody at your local sports team's working on this. The church has got to keep the fire hot on this reality because it is the revelation of God to the whole universe. So we want to help people meet God. You know the only hopeless person is a person without God's presence? That's the only hopeless person. And so we've got a vision to help people meet God. So that's why we talk about reading the Bible and we talk about having devotions and we talk about um, soak and we, talk, we have a prayer team that prays, prays for you online, prays for you here in the room. That's why our worship team works so hard. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we had the Living Stone series because you meet God also in relationship with other believers. But our, our, our calling, our God-given vision is to keep the temperature hot on this reality that we, we need to meet God. I, I, we want Kingwood to be the church that people say about us, when I'm with those people, I meet God. Do you know the worst thing that could happen is people come to Kingwood looking for God and only find us? You can find a group of people anywhere. Hey, college football just started. You want a big group of people? Go to a stadium. There's a big group of people. But let it be said when people are with us in a group, on a team, on a missions trip, at a youth camp, 
at kids camp in a worship service at having coffee wherever we are when I'm with those people somehow I meet God <laughs> somehow I'm a little bit closer to him number two our vision is to be a movement of hope by helping people find purpose. Now, this is more than just, um, do you like your job? <laughs> this is more than, have you found activities in life that are enjoyable to you? That's, that's not bad, that's good. I think that's something we should all pursue to a, to a degree. This is, do you know your calling? We want to help every person find purpose. What we mean by that is your God-given, assigned purpose in life. Do you know what your purpose is? Ephesians 4.11, I want to show it to you there. We're actually just reading the next verse from what we read a minute ago. So Christ himself, so Jesus did this. Here's the big deal. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... Why did he give them? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So here's the thing. Kingwood Church is not my ministry, it's your ministry. Kingwood Church is not my ministry. Kingwood Church is your ministry. My ministry is you. My ministry is helping you find what God has called you to do and equipping you to do it. So think about that for a minute. If I take that literally in Ephesians 4, then when I see Jesus face to face, I'm not going to give as much of an account over, you know, we tend to measure how good a, a pastor or a leader is by how, how good the worship services are or how good the sermon is or all of those things. What if, the, what if I had a higher priority in my calling than that? What if my priority in the calling that God's given me in Ephesians 4 is how many people who are part of Kingwood Church family know what their calling is and how many of them have been equipped to do it? That's my highest calling. And so think about what happens for a minute. Jesus himself gave leadership roles to the church so that those leadership roles in the church might help people find their calling and purpose and then live that purpose out in a way that builds the church up. Imagine how strong we would be. You know one of the things we learned in COVID, one of the things that I saw, I think, one of the reasons that Christianity is shrinking in America, one of the reasons that, that, uh, uh, that the American church has struggled so much is not because we don't have the technology or the money or whatever. It's because we don't understand what God has called us to be and to do. We're not deep enough. We're trying to live a cultural Christianity in a culture that could care less about Christianity. And so that's a hybrid that'll never work. We've got to go get back to the New Testament functioning of what the church is called to be. And if I'm called to be a church leader, then I'm called to help you find your calling and equip you to do it, and that's the highest measurement of my life. I, I, don't, I don't give a count. So here's what I want you to see. Think about what happens if the people in the body of Jesus all over America, all over the world had someone helping them find their calling and then equipping them for it. You know what would happen? The body would get built up. And you know that's exactly the vision that we see in Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. I just want to grab, it's a lot of, uh, 
uh, sophisticated language. I just want to grab out a summary of what the Bible says the church looks like when we function that way, when people know their purpose, they know their calling, and they do it. Here's what it says. He says that the church will be gifted, that the church will be strong, that the church will be mature, that the church will be unified, that the church will be full. The fullness of Christ will dwell in the church. Not easily deceived. In other words, the church is not going to be sucked into wasted arguments. It's not going to be sucked into division. It's not going to be torn in half by the latest fad or cultural trend or newest philosophy that comes along. Not easily deceived. Well, that's a good one. Speaking the truth in love. There's, a, there's plenty of truth being spoken. Not enough of it in love. You've got to have them together. Connected, working, growing. Who doesn't want to be a part of a church like that? Man. When, when we lived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, many of you know, we uh, rode out Hurricane Katrina and, and lived four and a half years after that massive storm hit the shoreline. And I got to see things uh, that a lot of people don't get to see just because it was such an intense environment. And one week after Katrina hit, we were on the ground and we were trying to figure out, you know, where's everybody at? Where'd everything go? How do we rebuild? All this stuff. And in that uh, catastrophic environment, I saw something that I'll never forget. I saw a miracle. I saw... The, the body of Christ, I saw Jesus' family, I saw the church rise in its full potential, and I saw what it could be. Now, I realize it was an artificial environment because there's a lot of variables that won't be true in, a, in any particular local church environment, but I saw it, and I can't unsee it. So one week after Katrina hit, we had people that I had never met who were Christians from other states who started to arrive on our property. And they just started to serve. It swelled to two, in just a few weeks, it swelled to 200 people. 200 Christians from churches who I'd never met. I didn't know 95% of them. They just arrived, we housed them, we fed them. We started a medical clinic, we started a distribution center. I mean, it was crazy. Here's the thing though. When the government couldn't move, the church was moving. The casinos boarded up and they went inland. They could care less. And it's like it was shocking to people. Like, you think they're only here for the money? <laughs> yes, they don't care. And so they left. They just boarded up and left. But when other, when other organizations weren't moving, the church was moving. And I got to see people. Look, we had doctors who came in. We had um, uh, medical assistants. We had a pharmacy. We treated 10,000 people in our medical clinic. We had between one and two million dollars worth of, worth of pharmaceuticals in our pharmacy, which was a flipped over Sunday school classroom. We, we, we had people, 55,000 cars went across our property and received, you know, diapers and formula and water and clothes. And I mean, there were people that, that had nothing but a concrete slab where they used to live. That was all that was left. And, and they needed everything. And we had people who organized. We had people who ran logistics. We had people who ran forklifts. We had people who, you know, um, uh, organized and processed clothes. We had clothes. Oh, my goodness, we had clothes. We had mountains of clothes. Somebody sent ice skates. Still don't understand. 
what they thought ice skates was going to do to help. I guess if it went bad, they could be weaponized. You know, I, I don't know what the, what the thing was there. We, we had people who cooked. Like I got 200 hungry people living on our property who have no idea how they're going to eat. And for months, for months, by God's grace, we fed those people three meals a day, every day. By the way, we didn't have any food. We had people who delivered food, just raw supplies. So here's all I'm trying to say to you. I saw the power of the body of Jesus when people embrace their gifts and their calling and they rise up and say, God, you have made me for this and use me for your glory. And here's the thing, I wanna see it again. I know it'll look different on a different scale, but I wanna see it in Shelby County. I wanna see the church rise up in passion, with purpose, and a holy calling on our lives and say, God, you have called us for this time and this hour to make a difference. We're not gonna wait till everything else calms down and people get all the politics figured out and college football gets done realigning and all of that. We have an eternal calling from God. And I can't wait to see it. That the church would be built up. Can I tell you, that's hope. That's what hope looks like. And I've seen it, and I can't unsee it. So here's here's what I want to say to you. Build the church up with everything you've got. Give all you can, serve all you can, engage all you can, invest all you can. Why? Because for all of eternity, you will be glad you did. You will not look back and say, you know, there was a couple of national parks I never saw. Looking back from heaven, you're not going to look back and have all of the regrets that most people think we're all going to have while we're here on earth. What you're going to do is say, I'm so glad that I used my life in a way that brought people close to Jesus for eternity. So where do you start? Well, start by finding your gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Because that's the superpower, that's the muscle, that's the thing that God gave you to make a difference with. And the Bible teaches us that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. You probably have more than one, but every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. So find your gifts. We can help you with that. And by the way, that's our job. Our job is to help you with that. On our website, at the, at the very top on the home screen, there's a button that says next steps. You follow it and go to start serving. You follow that, go to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a spiritual gifts assessment. And you can take that assessment and it'll give you some, some good feedback on the gifts you're higher in, the gifts you're medium in, the gifts you're lower in. So just wanted to give you an example because I thought you know, perhaps it would help. Most of my life, most of my saved life, when I've taken spiritual assessments, I've, I've tended to score higher on leadership than some of the other ones. Leadership, uh, prophecy, wisdom. Those tend to float higher for me than the other ones. Here's what's crazy though. Had you met me before I was a Christian, I had never led my way out of a paper bag. 
I had never led anything my entire life anywhere in my neighborhood, in my family, in my home. I was the youngest sibling. There was nobody behind me to lead. I led nothing nowhere, not at school, nothing. When I got saved in a short amount of time, Something happened inside me, and since I was 16 years old, I've been leading things. Now, that doesn't mean I'm good at it, (laughs) okay? It's not about the quality. It's about where's the gift. And so I've been leading things, and so here's what I did. If you already know what your gift is, a spiritual gift is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets, The more you invest in it, the better it gets. And so just because God's given you the gift of something doesn't mean that that gift is gonna reach its potential without your investment. And so what I've done is I've spent so much of my life reading and learning and talking to other leaders. And in 07, I went and got a a master's degree in leadership because what I wanna do is I want to try to make the gift that God's given me as strong as I can make it so I can leverage it for the church. So I can, I, can, I can bring it into impact and to make as big a difference as I can for the church, for his kingdom, for eternity. And so whatever gift that you have, if you already know what your gift is, grow it, invest in it. And look, the best way to find your gift is to practice. Like go try things. And uh, the same website, same next step button, same start serving, you can see a list of things that you can start serving at in Kingwood. And look, here's how we do it as a church. You go sign up, we reach out to you, we bring you in, you serve there for a little while, a few weeks, a month or two. Maybe you say, you know what? I don't think I have any gifts that work here. Great, tell somebody and let's move you. That's what our vision is. Our vision isn't to get you serving in a spot that you're not gifted for. Our vision is to help you find the spot God gifted you for. But you will learn so much more about your gifts by using what you've got by practicing than you will by not doing anything, by trying to figure it all out intellectually before you even start. So our vision is to, our vision is to, is to have people say about our church, those are the people that helped me find my calling. Those are the people that helped me find my purpose. And when we find our purpose and the church is built up, guess what starts to happen? We start to reach our community, which is number three. Our vision is to be a movement of hope by living the belief that anyone can find Jesus. Now here's the thing. One of the key phrases in this sentence is living the belief. Not belie- belief is not enough. Belief is not enough. You have to put action with that belief. So how do we live the belief that anyone can find Jesus? Well, here's the way we think about it at Kingwood. We have to remove as many barriers as we can that inhibit a person from coming to Jesus. So I just want to mention three of those today that, are, that, are, um, that, that we feel we have a special passion for at Kingwood and that God has given us a vision to do. Uh, One is racial division. Racial division is a barrier to the gospel. It's a barrier to Jesus. Why, Why would you say that? Here's why. I want you to imagine for a minute that people who don't know Jesus, who aren't a part of a church, sit around the community and when they look at churches, what they see is they see all black churches or all white churches or all Hispanic churches or whatever and they look and they look at us. You know what they think about that? You're no different than anybody else. 
What you do is, is you just get in your little huddles on Sunday and you follow the same division lines that everybody else follows. What's different about you? Church ought to look like heaven. And I don't know if you read the end of the book, but it says from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, people are going to gather around the throne. So, so here's, here's what I always say. If you don't like heaven, you're not going to like Kingwood. Right? Do you know what a glowing testimony it is to our unbelieving community when we gather together from all different backgrounds underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ and we love each other? It sends shockwaves into the community. Because especially after COVID, people are suspicious of each other and all of that. But man, we come under a banner that's higher than any other banner, and it's the banner of Jesus. So, here's one of the ways that I think we could all live that out. I think that Kingwood people ought to be the first people in Shelby County to reach across racial lines and welcome people who aren't like you. So uh, here's how I do it. When I'm in the grocery store and there's someone from, from a, a non-white person around me that needs something or whatever, I'm trying to shatter every barrier that I can and say, oh no, you go ahead. You know, I got 800 things in my basket. You got four. Hey, you go ahead. I, I, I don't want to exclude people. I don't want to isolate people. I don't want to set up speed bumps to heaven. Right? And so I, what, what if Kingwood people were the first ones every time we encountered someone in a community space, at a ball game, at a school event, at whatever, and they were different than us, they had a different background, maybe a different race than us, what if we were the ones to go, hey, I'm so-and-so, what's your name? What if we extended a welcome? Man, I, I think that'd be a great way for us to live this vision out. And there's a lot more, of course. That's a barrier. Access is a barrier. You may think, how, how's access? Did you know that Shelby County is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama? And what I mean by that is today, on this Sunday and every Sunday in the year, there are less people in a church service in Shelby County than any county in our state. A smaller percentage than any county in our state. And so what I mean by access is, I'm not, you may say, look, I passed five churches on the way here. What do you mean access? We got churches. Yes, I'm not talking about physical access, I'm talking about relational access. How many people in Shelby County have no one praying for them, sharing with them, or inviting them to church? I can tell you, tens of thousands. You know how I know that? Because, here's the national statistic that just came out, 70% of unchurched people in America have never been invited to church one time in their entire life. Not once. So, here's my question. Have you invited anybody to our new series next week, Anxious for Nothing? Because it's a beautiful opportunity and our vision is to be a movement of hope and to live the belief that anybody can find Jesus and that means anybody. Yes. So my encouragement to you, you go onto our website again on the home screen, there's a little button that says invite series. 
push the button. And behind it are the resources that you need that will help you to live this vision for our community. It's also the reason that we keep investing in online ministry. And I know so to some people, you know, maybe that's controversial or whatever. Look, online ministry removes access. Those of you that are online today, can I just tell you how much we love you? And how grateful we are. Yeah, come on, everybody give them a hand. Yes, yes. Can I tell you how grateful we are that you are watching and that you worship with us through this medium? And there's a million reasons that people do that, but we're grateful. Do you know a few months ago something incredible happened? Uh, Pastor Jeremy, before he moved to Florida, was here preaching. And a young mom who had never been on our property was at home with her child, a little baby who was sick, watching our service. No idea how she found us. She found us. And she felt this incredible urgency inside that she needed to bring her sick baby to our church to be prayed for. And she made it just as service was ending. And she met Jeremy right here. And he was able to meet her. And she told that story. And she said, I just felt like I needed to come and have you pray for my baby. And, and he prayed for the baby. And, and, and if, if I remember correctly, I think we, there was a good result there. So look. We're committed to removing every barrier to Jesus that we possibly can. That's what it means to be a movement of hope. It means to bring hope wherever a person is. Now, the, the other one I wanted to give you is geography. Geography is a barrier. Do you know that there are hundreds of millions of people in the world who have never heard Jesus' name, who've never seen a Christian church, and who've never met a Christian Hundreds of millions. And you know why? Because of where they were born. That's it. That's the only reason. Because of where they were born. And so that's why you continue to hear us invest in missionaries. We're trying to send as many missionaries as we can to all of those parts of the world so that they can at least meet one Christian. So they can at least hear the gospel one time in their life so that a church, we invest in church planting and church building and all of that. We send construction teams. But why? So we can be a movement of hope, not just to our community here, but the whole world. So that's what it means for us. Racial division, access, and geography are barriers. Our vision is to remove every one of those barriers because we want to make it as easy as possible for people to meet Jesus. Why wouldn't we? It's too important. All right, here's the, here's the last one. Number four, our vision is to be a movement of hope by empowering everyone to take their next step. Look, if you haven't reached your full potential, and I promise you haven't, and neither have I, and if our church hasn't reached its full potential, then we've all got more steps to take. So our vision is to empower you to find those steps and to take them. Do you know the greatest gift that God's ever given you after salvation is the ability to grow? So in other words, what happens is in your lifetime, you are actually going to spend and, and, and have hundreds of opportunities and hundreds of invitations from God to take another step to unpack the salvation that you've already received. Because just being saved and not going to hell or going to heaven is not, the, is not it. 
There's a whole life God has for you. And when you, and when you take those next steps, you encounter him in new ways and you continue to grow and become more like him. So I think sometimes what happens to us is we get in a rut. Especially those of us who were raised in church, we say, you know, I got it. I mean, I, I've heard it all my life. You know, read your Bible, pray, give, serve somewhere, show up at church a lot. I mean, I got it. I got it. Can I just tell you, if you think that you've experienced all there is to, to experience in the Christian life, your God's too small. You don't got it. Because until you see him face to face and you are changed from glory to glory, you don't got it all. <laughs> Right? You don't have it all. And so look, I've taken steps in my faith in the last five years because of suffering that I didn't know even existed 10 years ago. I didn't even know they were steps like that. But I've, but I've, by God's grace, I've seen them and by God's grace, I've heard his invitation into them and by his grace, I've been able to take them. And I'm so glad I did. And I look back on my life 10 or 20 or 30 years ago and I go, how, how did I even, that's so far, so far away. For, by God's grace, I took those steps. So look what the Bible tells us about this, Galatians 5.25. Since we live by this spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you to take steps all of your life. What I think happens to us sometimes is we get busy and we kind of got our life. It might not be exactly how we want it, but it's good enough. And we say, look, I'm busy. I got a lot going on. My life's close enough, you know, to how I want. It's not terrible. It's, it's pretty good. And, um, and so I, I kind of got my life how I want it. Here's, here's the thing, though. The question is not do you have your life how you want it. The question is does God have your life the way he wants it? That's the question. Because you are his son and, and you, or you are his daughter. You've been made in his image for his special purposes. And has your life been found in that image yet? So we want Kingwood to be the church where people say, those are the people that help me grow. We want Kingwood to be the church where people, where, where nobody ever gets stuck. That's a big vision, isn't it? Because as people, our tendency is to get stuck. But we want Kingwood to be the place where people don't get stuck. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're uh, watching online, our prayer team is there. We love you. We're so grateful that you're a part of this service today. And our prayer team is available to pray with you. If you have a prayer need, um, we want you just to put it in the comment section and we want to pray for you. We, we want to help you meet God right now. We want to be hope to you right now. And uh, we'd be glad to do that. Our prayer team's been praying this morning and they're ready to meet you. So just jump over in the comment section and you can say, you know, it's unspoken. It's, um, it's a special need. You can write what the need is and we'll pray for you. Hey, for all of us, would you just pause for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to, to guide your heart? Lord, I, I just ask you to guide our hearts in these next few minutes. How we respond is the most important part. And so, Lord, I, I pray you'd give us ears to hear 
and eyes to see and a heart to understand that you are speaking and you're inviting and you're calling because you have so much more for us and we want to be wide open and available for that thank you for your presence today Let's sing the song with the worship team.